0: Just about four minutes past 6 p.m. Welcome to Community Matters here on KBUT, community radio for the entire Gunnison Valley. My name is Christopher Biddle. I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Chris Rourke. Chris, thanks for joining us tonight. Hey, Christopher. We're going to be talking uh, later on with Gunnison County Emergency Management Director, Scott Morrill. That's coming up in a few minutes. We're also going to be talking later on with Kevin Bletcha of the Colorado Parks and Wildlife Department, talking about mountain lions in Gunnison Valley. You can call in and join the conversation at 970-349-7444. Or you can head on over to kbut.org and find out how to submit that way. Here's a quick look at your weather forecast. We're going to see mainly clear skies tonight with lows in the teens valley-wide for tomorrow. Maybe a few degrees warmer than today, but pretty much the same. Highs in the mid 40s with sunny skies. And now I'll introduce our first guest tonight, Scott Morrill, thanks for being with us, Scott.
1: Thanks, Chris, good to be here.
0: Now, Scott, um, I was wondering if we could just start out by explaining uh, your title, what you do for Gunnison County.
1: So I'm the emergency manager for Gunnison County. Uh, my duties in ensuring that we have all the appropriate emergency plans in place. So the emergency operations plan, recovery plan.
0: It uh, looks like we may have just lost Scott there. We'll work on getting him back here in just a moment. If you just bear with us.
1: Another big part of my job is job entails uh, developing and and updating the various emergency plans, so the emergency operations plan, communications plan, resource mobilization, recovery, the list goes on. There's uh, probably about a dozen plans that I'm responsible for keeping updated, and then also making sure that uh, that we test those and exercise them on a regular basis. Another big part of my job is multi-agency coordination, and that's working with all the first response agencies and other organizations in the Valley just ensuring that everybody's talking to each other and we're on the same page in terms of response and um, you know how we're gonna react to situations.
0: Sure, so it's a pretty typical role for uh, governments of all sorts and sizes. What challenges are unique to your job here in Gunnison County? What are you gonna have to deal with as an emergency manager in Gunnison County that your counterparts don't have to deal with? Well,
1: I'm actually gonna turn that around a little bit. Um, really fortunate Chris to live and work in Gunnison County. Uh, the relationships that we have in this valley are just amazing and um, I, there, there's no egos there's no turf battles the agencies all work really well together and so it just it makes my job so much easier to accomplish and I just can't say enough good things about all the agencies and organizations in the valley that, that I work with uh, they support each other they support me and it makes for a, a very um, solid and efficient me- mechanism to respond.
0: Well, sure, and I guess I was wondering if you were going to say something about the fact that Gunnison County is more than eighty percent public land, and uh, there's a lot of open space and things like that. Surely, there are some things that are you know pre- create some unique challenges uh, to to emergency management here in such a rural area. Um, can I ask you to elaborate on that?
1: Well, our, our biggest threats is our, our wildfire and floods, and obviously with the drought, that's exacerbated. For all emergency managers, face this is is our resources, and so if we were to have an incident uh, that is of long duration and fairly serious, we would need probably outside help to assist us with that. And it's uh, like I said, that's fairly common with most rural emergency managers. And I, I can't think of anything that's that's particularly unique about Gunnison County. Um, you know, we, most rural counties face similar issues in terms of the capacity to respond to incidents and, um, and then just having the depth on the bench to to deal with a long-term incident.
0: Sure. I want to remind folks again that they can call in and ask their questions, 970-349-7444. I'll hand it over to my co-host, Chris Rourke. So,
2: Scott, in, in talking about, you know, the collaborative nature of what you do with other agencies and other parts of the state, we've seen this One Valley COVID response team. Um, tell me who that consists of and, and how that came about. I know you started with an incident command structure. Um, how did the One Valley COVID response team, you know, adapt and, and, and did it really keep with your emergency plan? or were there adaptations that had to be made?
1: So uh, the first part of March, um, I don't know if you recall, but the, the way that they were doing testing initially was people would call Gunnison Dispatch and ask to get tested. And then dispatch would uh, send either a Crestview Ambulance if it was up north or a Gunnison Ambulance if it was down here to do the test. As things began ramping up in the state, and I want to say it was the weekend of March 6th, 7th, um, we quick, quickly came to the realization that that plan was not working. And so we met here all day on a Saturday, whatever that was in March, that first weekend. We were here for about 12 hours trying to hammer out a good solid plan, which we did. And then uh, we were here on, on the Sunday also, most of the day, refining that plan, contacting people, um, identifying who's going to serve in what roles. And then Monday we actually were doing our first um, uh, command and general staff meeting preparing for the uh, you know for the onset of the pandemic. And that's when we were notified we had our first case. And it uh, you know we had started having conversations about the possibility of the pandemic in, in late February, mid-February, as we were seeing what was happening in Asia and then on the west coast of the United States. And so you know, we weren't, we weren't caught off guard. We've been preparing for it. I think the suddenness with which it hit Colorado maybe caught a number of people in state off guard. But I feel like we were pretty well positioned um, to react to that. And um, you had asked me about who's serving in what role. So Joni Reynolds, um, director of public health, is incident commander, as is CJ Malcolm. He's the um, chief of Gunnison Valley EMS so they serve in a co-role there then uh, melissa post uh, she's uh, the deputy chief ranger out at uh, Kirakani. she's one of the deputy ic's and i am the other deputy ic and the reason we doubled up in that position in both of those positions was for redundancy so that if somebody got sick um, you know we had some backup the other piece of that was um, huge decision making lifts early on in this and so being able to spread out uh, that decision making and the workload, and it, and it really helped a lot. And we tried to do that in all in all the various positions. We had people serving in command staff from um, the town of Crestview, Mount Crestview, City of Gunnison, um, obviously Gunnison County. Um, we also had staff here from um, uh, the U.S. Forest Service early on too
2: and how much uh adaptation occurs in not only the pandemic but anytime you're faced with an emergency i know you have the plan in place but certainly there's got to be some adaptation movement because maybe one thing doesn't work or something can work better maybe speak to that
1: yeah so you're absolutely right it doesn't matter what kind of incident um you know the, the best laid plans the mice and men comes to mind but um yeah we made a lot of changes not only to the emergency operations plan. But also to the uh, to the public health uh, pandemic plan, and, and I don't want to say a lot of changes, but there there were a number of changes that had to, uh, you know, we had to adapt as we went on this, and you know we made mistakes and we learned from those, and I, you know, we're, we're coming into another another wave that looks fairly serious, and I think from a process and staffing standpoint, we're in, we're in a good spot to be able to uh, react to the this next wave.
0: Thanks for tuning in to KBUT. This is Community Matters. We're talking to Scott Morrell, the emergency manager for Gunnison County. Already, we've talked about COVID nineteen response. I know that later on in the show, we are going to bring up things like broadband communications that uh, were dealt with uh, last week when communications went out, also power outages uh, that occurred in April. Uh, excuse me, in September due to some early winter snowstorms. These are all things that Scott's had to deal with. Um, in the midst of the pandemic, some some 200, 300 days in uh, to the pandemic. Remember, you can join the conversation. We are starting to get some calls in with some questions, specifically about broadband communications. We'll be getting to that in just a moment. But you can call uh, and ask your question of Scott Morrill, 970-349-7444. And before we get into those things, I wanted um, to talk about a, a topic that Uh, took me some time to understand because I think it was a little bit unique here in Gunnison County. Um, Scott, can you explain, Gunnison Valley Health is a critical care access hospital. Can you explain what that means?
1: So it's it's a, a level four trauma center and they have no ICU beds, but they, essentially what they do is they take critical patients and stabilize them. And then if that patient needs a higher level of care, then they get sent to Montrose, Grand Junction, or the Front Range, and I'm um, I'm not I'm not exactly sure what all is involved in that designation as a as a um, level four trauma center, but uh, they yes, you no, know no, as no. It with during the COVID during the COVID pandemic um, early on when patients critical patients came in they were. Quickly move to higher levels of care, either Montrose or Grand
0: Junction, and occasionally the Front Range. And I was wondering if you could describe the relationship between Gunnison Valley Health Hospital, the healthcare system here in the Gunnison Valley, and uh, the the government a, a, uh, entity of Gunnison County. What is their relationship?
1: Well, just from a from a working standpoint, it's a very good relationship. Um, the hospital has been so supportive and and uh, and engaged in the pandemic, it's uh, it's been, just been really refreshing to see. I mean, we do hear stories around the state of of uh, you know folks not playing nice in the sandbox together, but the hospital has been incredibly supportive and has done a lot in response to the pandemic.
0: Great., uh, Chris Rourke, did you uh, have any follow ups on that issue or should we go to some questions from listeners? All right, I think we are going to go to some questions from listeners. Uh, So, Scott, uh, of course, this past week we did deal with uh, a comms outage uh, that KBUT was, of course, uh, familiar with because we had to assist local governments and officials, uh, direct folks to emergency services. Our first call to come in this evening, what will be done immediately to address emergency services being cut when comms are out? Uh, So is there any changes that are coming about after last week? So
1: I'm not involved in the conversations regarding the redundant fiber that's being brought into the county. Um, I I do know that that's um, at the top of everybody's mind, including the officials who've been working on that. Uh, When they repaved Cottonwood Pass, uh, my understanding is that fiber was laid along Cottonwood Pass um, as a redundant source of internet for the valley, and apparently it is not yet operational. Um, as far as immediate goes, what we're doing right now is we're going to, we're going to do an after action review of the incident uh, just from emergency services standpoint, and we've already got a number of uh, ideas that we'll be moving forward with should this happen again, and I, and I will tell you that our response to this was framed largely on, on the outages that we dealt with in 2016. I don't know if you recall. There was two significant outages in the summer of 2016. And I I feel like um, a lot of what we did in 2016 uh, worked well then. And we initiated it again this time around, identifying facilities for the public to go to in order to get assistance if they needed it, um, identifying analog lines that were working uh, and and getting that number out to the public. Uh, We also had uh, rovers. so. police officers, firefighters, um, public works folks, search and rescue folks, uh, basically roving the streets, the county roads and the highways uh, looking for problems.
0: Sure. Um, And you mentioned those 2016 communications outages. Um, I was actually trying to find out when those were because I recall those. Uh, Were those the the same? uh, Was it the same thing with um, no Internet and no cell and no landline? Was it a full black blackout?
1: That's correct. And um, so the big difference with this outage was the fact that um, people could not call 911. And that was highly concerning to us. And one of the reasons we moved so quickly to identify places where people could go for help and also get a lot of vehicles out on the road um, to provide assistance if needed. Um, Usually when these kind of cuts occur, uh, there's technology in place that will reroute the 911 calls. And usually those get rerouted to either to Montrose or to Delta, but in this case, when people dialed nine one one, they were getting a busy signal.
0: And do you um, know why that occurred so, this time as opposed to other times?
1: I I, I don't. Uh, just the nature of the cut. It sounds like everything that was in that trench got cut, and and so I know sometimes when these cuts occur, it's a partial cut or it's just damaged fiber, but um, this time it sounds like it was com- just a complete sever of everything that was in that trench.
0: Sure. Uh, I mean, I, you know, I mean, I think it is, I think a lot of folks do wonder how it is in 2020, a community can be entirely cut off um, from communications um, in the blink of an eye and just the, the just a poorly labeled uh, cable is what I understand or uh, labeled as best as it possibly could be because it had been installed uh, so long ago and it just was not where it was quite labeled to be and the cut got severed. Um, you know, as an emergency manager, what's your take on, you know, where we should be with that? Uh, you know, I mean, is it, is it appropriate that we don't have a redundancy right now? Is that, is that a, uh, is that a, you know, an emergency for you or, uh, what's your take on that?
1: Uh, it's, it's it's usually concerning to me. And, um, I was actually surprised as I think a number of folks were that I, I thought that the redundant fiber coming over cotton was operational but uh for whatever reason it's not and i know that's being explored by officials here but um, you know to answer your question uh, uh, you know it's absolutely unacceptable that we don't have redundant uh internet coming into the valley and hopefully that's going to get addressed
0: soon sure and i just did sorry go ahead chris
2: now there is some limited redundancy within the valley though isn't there doesn't gvh have some capabilities
1: that is Correct. So throughout the outage, um, they did have access to the internet. And, and so and, and the various organizations within the Valley, so uh, the city of Gunnison, Gunnison County, we all had intranet so we could communicate internally. We could talk to each other internally. But in terms of um, talking to the other agencies and organizations, the only way we could do that was either by analog phone or by radio.
2: Yeah, and you know, I guess the 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 head scratcher in this is this isn't the first time a cable has been cut. You know, when does it get to the point where we're not cutting cables? It, it's it's almost gotten to the point where you know I hate to say it's humorous because it's such a dire situation, but um, why does that keep happening?
1: Well, um, you know, I, I I don't know other than the the, the People are digging where they shouldn't be digging. I mean, that's that's the root cause of these outages, and I'm not sure exactly what transpired on this particular cut. Uh, my understanding was that the contractor had asked for locate, and um, the locate didn't occur in a timely fashion, and they went ahead and dug up anyway. And so, I'm not sure if that's exactly what happened, but that's what we were told the day of the uh, the outage.
0: Sure. Thanks for listening to KBUT's Community Matters. I want to remind folks that they can call in and submit their questions at 970-349-7444. We're going to be talking with Kevin Blecha later on in the show from Colorado, Colorado Parks and Wildlife. Going to be talking to us about mountain lions here in the Gunnison Valley and uh, around. Colorado uh so another topic that always needs to be talked about here in Colorado with emergency managers wildfires we all know that Colorado had by far its worst season in history but what about Gunnison County here Scott how did this year compare to years past in terms of wildfire danger and uh what actually you know came to be
1: well uh you know, bottom lines, we just got really lucky again this year. Um, exceptionally dry conditions, with uh, um, you know just no moisture whatsoever, and we had some pretty windy days thrown in there. And we, you know, we just got lucky. I will say that, um, you know, in a large part, the reason we've had no large wildfires in recent memory is. Because the fire districts and the federal land agencies, um, if there's a smoke report, they they send everybody right now to get it put out. And uh, so I, I think, you know, we're fortunate that there's those kind of relationships in the valley where they get the fire put out and then they figure out, you know, who's who's paying for it later. And you know, not that doesn't occur in all places. I will say also that, um, you know, the, the the wildfires that we saw this year in Colorado, uh, just. Absolutely bizarre, unprecedented fire behavior on those fires, and and that's what led to you know the high acreage. I think numbers wise, the state actually had less fires this year than we did say in 2018. But acreage wise, you're right, it was through the roof.
0: I did not know that. Um, and uh, I mean, does that does that give you concern about large wildfires occurring here? uh, you know, with, um, beetle kill increasing in the area and things like that. Can you tell us about, um, you know, what your anxieties are around wildfires in this area?
1: Oh, I have all kinds of anxieties, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, um, wildfires are definitely our, our biggest threat and, you know, you just, you look at some of the communities and where they lie within the wildland urban interface. And, uh, I mean, there's a lot of potential out there and, Gunnison County does work closely with the West Region Wildfire Council. And what that group's tasked with is um, assisting homeowners and, and property owners in uh, making their, their property safer in regards to wildfire. So defensible space, landscape style projects that um, go beyond just the defensible space area. And, and that's been a, a very, um, very positive program that we've had in the valley, uh, getting assistance to property owners with making their property safer.
0: So, and of course, uh, you know, in the midst of wildfire season, really, but well before the end of wildfire season, we got hit with a major winter storm in September. I wanted to make sure to come back to that. I feel like it maybe sort of skipped over uh, the the folks here in Gunnison. Uh, especially in the north end of the valley where that storm really wasn't that significant. However, it was very significant in and around the Gunnison area, knocked out power to hundreds of homes. Can you give us a sort of a um, an idea of how uh, rare or regular a storm like that occurring early in the season when it knocks down a bunch of trees? Is that a surprise occurrence? How often does that occur?
1: Well, it was a, it was a surprise for me. Um, I've been here for over 40 years and had never seen that kind of a storm in September, and, and actually um, any time of year for that matter. To have that kind of wind, that heavy snow with leaves still on the trees was just was just a recipe for a lot of problems. And it and it <laughs> and there were um, my mother-in-law who has lived here for a long, long time recalled a storm in 1961 that was very similar. Um, happened in mid September and and did a lot of damage, a lot of power outage. But you know, for, for me that was uh, that was a new one. And it uh, you know the weather service had predicted, I want to say like three to four inches from that storm. And you know, by that Tuesday evening, we were well past that. And I'm I believe we got in neighborhood of 12 to 14 inches in and around the, the city of Gunnison and just really heavy wet snow that was Uh, collapsing trees and um, knocking down power lines and just all kinds of related problems.
0: Sure. Go ahead, Chris. You know,
2: it it was really crazy. I mean, even from seeing trees fall on vehicles and branches doing damage um, and then even livestock. I mean, my horse still had her summer coat and I'm like digging through the barn looking for a blanket because she was just (laughs) shivering. So, I mean, it was kind of crazy. I mean, on top of Many many things that you've been dealing with already this year, Scott. It, it's 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 been a crazy year for an emergency manager as well as the rest of us. Yeah, you know, it, go ahead.
1: Well, I was just going to say it, it has, and I you know I, um, I don't think that I'm dealing with with any more of this than anybody else is. It's just been a tough year all the way around for everybody.
2: Yeah. Well, getting back and speaking of that being a tough year. We're getting into a situation with COVID and we're hearing about COVID fatigue and about how, you know, the public is just tired of doing what they're supposed to do to really keep things at bay. What do you see around the community, specifically to COVID fatigue, that concerns you the most?
1: Well, I, I think just people letting their guards down, basically, and 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 you're absolutely right. People are tired of this thing, and uh, we all want it to go away. And you know, I I personally don't think there's been anything malicious in terms of people letting their guards down. It's just they're they're sick of this thing, and and they don't want to do this stuff anymore. But I just wanted to point out that in you know in July we had a pretty significant spike start up, mm-hmm. yeah, and um. You know, we did some messaging, and the public was really paying attention to the coronameter. And, you know, there was a buzz around town up and down the valley about the coronameter and how we were heading in the wrong direction. And, you know, the the community just sucked it up, and and I hate hate to use this term, but we flattened the curve. And um, that's how we got through that spike. And it was nothing that we did here at Incident Command. You know, we did some messaging, but that was a, I just want to say it was a grassroots community effort that everybody buckled down and started doing what we needed to do um, to, to make that spike go away. And it worked.
2: What are you doing to really combat that now? I mean, you know, you have to, I guess, continue like like we were talking about earlier with any emergency plan, you gotta adapt and overcome. And and when you reach a wall like that with a community that's just like, I've had enough, How do yep. you how do you chip away at that? How do you appeal to people's better angels?
1: Well, um, th- th- that's a really good question, and as you alluded to, you know, a lot of the stuff we're learning on the fly. We're we're trying some new strategies in terms of communications to try and get people's attention, and I think, um, you know, th- th- this was predicted. I mean, you know, the health healthcare professionals across the country have predicted this since the onset of the pandemic, and. You know, you can look around the country and it's not just Gunnison County that's going through this spike and it's not just Gunnison County that's suffering from this fatigue. Um, But just trying to re-energize people and and remind them of where we have been as a community and how successful we have been as a community in responding to the pandemic and we can do it again, but we've got to get on it and, and we've got to get serious about it because you know this spike is far worse than than the worst wave, the first wave that we had, it, just in terms of number. Where we're fortunate is it hasn't required the number of the hospitalizations and people seeking medical care. But great. So we're just we're you know there's there's posters going up around town that um, are new and fresh. You know it's, they've got animals on them with masks, or washing their hands, things like that. And you know our PIO Andrew Sandstrom, working with command staff, is is um, looking for some different strategies to try and uh, get people to to pay attention and, and start doing what we need to do to get this thing
0: knocked down. Scott hey. Morrow. Scott Morrow is Gunnison County Emergency Manager. He's talking to us here on community matters from KBUT. My name is Christopher Biddle. I'm joined as always by my my co-host Chris Rourke. Later on we're going to be talking to Kevin Bletcher of Colorado Parks and Wildlife about mountain lions in the Gunnison Valley. And around Colorado. We're going to take a quick break right now. I want to remind folks that they can call and submit their questions. Join the conversation, 970 349 444. We'll be right back.
2: Support for KBUT comes from SOMRAC Concept and Structure a Crested Butte general contractor offering design and build services from drawings through construction to a turnkey finished home. Ben and Kate Somrak are joined by a team who feel fortunate and humbled to help others bring their visions to life and make this magical place a home. Somrak.net, S-O-M-R-A-K.net.
0: And we're back on JJ. Community Matters here on KBUT. My name is Christopher Biddle. Thank you so much for joining us. 970-349-7444 is the number to call if you'd like to uh, ask a question of our guest, emergency manager for Gunnison County, Scott Morrill. Uh So, Scott, we are, as we just talked about, we we're starting to talk about uh, COVID-19. We're hoping to get a little bit of an update from you, if possible. We're seeing the largest case counts for single days, uh, in Gunnison County by far. Uh, there are some reasons for that. They tend to come, you know, on a Monday when, uh, testing hasn't been happening over the weekend. So, uh, there's some explanations for that. Also, we weren't doing as much testing during, uh, the, the, uh, the beginning of the pandemic when it was really spreading, but, uh, are we, are we seeing as fast a spread as we've ever seen when it comes to COVID-19 in Gunnison Valley right now?
1: Yeah, we are, and I think it's it's affirmed by the, the numbers that we're seeing, the number of positive cases, um, just far exceeding anything that that w- we saw in, in March, April, or May. Uh, you know, the, the good news this time around is that um, there's been no no impact on our health care system, and that was one of our biggest concerns the first time around was the impact on the hospital and the doctors' offices and just the, the health system in general. Um, the hospital reported today during one of our briefings that they've got no uh, COVID hospitalizations right now. And so that's that's really good news for us. Although that's not the case around the state. Um, a number of hospitals are, are being significantly impacted um, with hospitalizations for COVID patients.
2: Why do you think we're doing so well here?
1: You know, I, I don't know. To be honest with you I, I don't know i know that um a, a lot of the people that are sick right now are the younger age groups uh like 18 to 30 even up to 40. and I, I haven't looked at the numbers recently but i know that those were the the um the highest numbers of positive that we had for several days were in those age categories and and uh you know those a lot of those people get really, really sick, but they just don't require the acute care that, uh, that the elderly folks would or those that are at risk.
2: And doesn't that keep us in a in a better position as far as I mean, I think we've we've dialed back from protect our neighbors. The state has dialed us back, but as far as the coronameter goes, you know, we may be meeting some criteria, but as long as the healthcare system is is doing fairly well, we we can chug along. Is that correct?
1: It is. Um, you know, one of the things we have to balance is, you know, what the state's asking us to do. And right now, you're correct. We've met some of the criteria to move us, but but not all of them. And um, and one of the most critical of those is the impact of the healthcare system. And right now in the Valley, it just has not been adversely affected by this surge.
0: So, Scott, do you talk at all about a message that can be gleaned from that. I know that early on there was a lot of messaging around combating this idea that even if you're young, you still don't want to be picking up this disease. Um, a because it actually could be risky to anybody and B you can transmit it to to other people. But when we're talking about the fact that people are, you know, reading into the fact that they're, that they're not going to necessarily have to go to the hospital, their peers are not necessarily having to go to the hospital You know, is is there a is there a lack of taking this seriously uh, when it comes to that regard, when that keeps occurring? And do you have to combat that at all?
1: Well, I I think I think that's a part of it, Christopher. But I think the bigger issue, like we talked about earlier, is just just the fatigue and people are tired of it. People have let their guards down. Um, You know, we had a a very successful summer here. Because of the hard work that everybody did, I mean, Gunnison County was one of the best mountain communities economically throughout the summer, and you know that's just a tribute to the to the leadership up and down the valley, as well as to what the community did. I mean, so much of this is based on the community doing what needed to be done, and um, you know, and I I, I don't want to point fingers at anybody because I really don't think that that. That that's appropriate and i also don't think that it's um you know there's nothing intentional here it's just just that fatigue has set in and people just just want to get on with their lives
0: sure yeah i mean i you know and something that i was thinking about today i mean there's covid fatigue letting your guard down you know perhaps not washing your hands as often not wearing a mask when you should be wearing a mask uh but one of the other difficult things to deal with during this time uh, is that there are very few outlets for, um, you know, typical outlets that we'd use, like uh, expending time with family during the holidays. A lot of people aren't going to be able to do that this year. Uh, a lot of people are no longer able to go to the movie theater when they want to catch a movie. Uh, maybe they're not feeling comfortable at a restaurant when they want to go out to dinner um, and things like that. And I think that uh, all of that it can add up to a lot of stress, stress and frustration, uh, that I witness myself, and we see in the community um, as well. So I, I think that that's worth mentioning. Uh, Scott Morrill is Gunnison County Emergency Manager. Um, Scott, I want to appreciate. I want to tell you, I appreciate you being with us this evening. Um, I uh, so I wanted to ask more about COVID, um, just sort of details, whatever details you can provide us. But is it still true that the majority of cases that are coming up are not necessarily in businesses or in public settings, but are rather private settings uh, like homes, parties, et cetera?
1: Yeah. So public health is doing all the contact tracing on this for the positive cases and and the, um, and the even those that are symptomatic that haven't tested positive yet. And, my understanding is most everything that they're seeing right now is just through those, those private interactions. And there's been no huge outbreaks or have been a couple small outbreaks at various places, but those have been fairly small. And uh, the, the contact tracing just pointing to, to most of this. It's just people living their lives, going to parties, having dinner with each other, things like that.
0: And are there going to be any other other any adaptations to public health orders to address those specifically? I feel like health orders mainly have had to do with businesses and, uh, you know, uh, uh, controlling the uh, ability to congregate in groups. But if it's happening in a private home, there's a less of an ability to control something like that. Am I right?
1: Absolutely. And it's um, it's It's just it's just a really tough situation, and I do know that based on some of the guidance that's coming from the state, you know, the state is not issuing any public health orders right now. Uh, There's been no um, declarations coming from the governor. Um, They're they're being um, not quite as involved as they were the first time around, and so they're leaving it to the local public health agencies to make a lot of these decisions, and so. uh, I think that Joni and, and her staff are just looking at what's coming from the state and then you know looking at our numbers and our data and trying to make the, the best decisions possible. I will say, and Chris, you touched on Christopher, you touched on this just a second ago, is you know just just really appealing to the public to reconsider your actions. Um, you know, do you really need to go to that party? Um, do you really need to go shopping today or can you put it off for a few days? Just things like that, just examine you know, the the contacts you're going to be making every day and and figuring out if those are absolutely necessary because that's, like I said, the contact tracing is pointing to that being the main carrier of this spike.
0: Sure. And just since you brought that up, I I will uh, remind folks that the county is providing uh, services for those who wish to not leave their home, stay in their home, isolate, stay away from the public uh, and then need their shopping done uh, by somebody else. You can have folks from the county volunteer to help you do that. Chris, you had a question?
2: Well, I read an article in the Washington Post that really pointed to those social gatherings as being the, the big spreader now, and and they were talking about gatherings under 10, but, you know, you get together three or four, but unfortunately, can you tell people what to do behind their own closed doors? I don't think so. Um, okay. and, I, and, and I agree with you about that positive appeal, you know, to do the right
1: thing. Just... You know, understanding that people are going to do what people do, but, but do it in a safe manner. Mask up, try to keep that physical distancing. Um, do you really need to go to that dinner? And you know, everybody has a different level of acceptable risk. And I think, you know, at a time like this, we just, you got to think about the greater good and, and, you know, how your actions can affect the entire community. Because it's, I mean, this, this has to be a community-wide effort for us to beat this thing.
0: Great. Yeah. Thank you, Scott Morrill, a Gunnison County emergency manager for coming on the show this evening. Uh, We look to have you. We look forward to having you back on uh, perhaps during some easier times for your job. But thanks for being with us tonight. Thank you. Appreciate it. You're listening to KBUT Community Matters here on community radio for the entire Gunnison Valley. My name is Christopher Biddle. Uh, And we will have our next guest coming up in just a moment. Thanks for listening to KBUT. My name is Christopher Biddle. This is Community Matters. We are now joined by our next guest, Colorado Parks and Wildlife Biologist, Kevin Blecka. Kevin, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. And Kevin, uh, we've asked you on to talk to us about something that has just been taking over social media, especially uh, when it comes to the Crested Butte community. Recently, there have been a large number compared to, uh, to, you know, what it's been like in the past, uh, a large number of mountain lion sightings. So what does this mean for mountain lion populations? Are we to assume that there are more of them right now because we're seeing more, or is this just an indication for one reason or another that they're, they're living closer to us? Yeah.
3: Um, we have no evidence that there's actually more mountain lions, um, right now in the Gunnison Valley, Uh there are certain circumstances though that, um, and actually, I guess the reason for this is probably a little more boring. Uh, and there's probably a couple of reasons behind the surge of sightings and uh, encounters that have happened here. Uh, but, uh, you know, the, the chances that you individually observe a mountain lion in your backyard or trail or on the trail are rare. And the probability they encounter one that's behaving aggressively is a fairly low probability as well. And And so compared to other parts of the state, we uh, believe we have a much lower density uh, of mountain lions. Maybe not much lower, but maybe half as many uh, per square, 100 square kilometers as an area like uh, outside of Denver Boulder area on the Front Range, where you hear about this much more often. Um, but uh, really, you know, people can live for decades in the, this wildland urban interface and never see one. Um, uh, I've talked to several people that have never had one in their backyard. And, Uh, maybe within a year later, they contact me and say, hey, I finally had a mountain lion on my porch. Uh, So uh, really it's just a matter of of, of probability uh, in most cases. Uh, However, there are times uh, when you do have certain mountain lions out there that that are uh, maybe a little bolder, or maybe a little, uh, you know, there's certain things going on in their lives at that time that, make it so that they have to uh, hang out a little closer to humans. And so typically mountain lions are afraid of humans, uh, afraid of our houses. They generally um, are trying to stay away from us. Um, there's a lot of good reason to. The more they hang out in your homes, the more likely that they are going to um, die actually. Um, so uh, over time they've learned to avoid us, but there are times when um, certain circumstances where maybe a, a certain mountain lion just can't fend for itself uh, as well. Um, perhaps the prey population is down, um, probably not in this case particularly, or maybe um, they just can't keep up energetically. So if let's say it's a mother mountain lion that has that's trying to rear two or four kittens, um, it's gotta feed much more often. And, and those mountain lion kittens are staying with mom for uh, up to a year, year and a half in some cases. So uh, if, uh, you know, in the rare case that all four of a litter, all four mountain lion kittens um, are brought up to adulthood, um, that, that mother has to um, feed or kill prey uh, much more often.
2: So Kevin, how about my theory about why we're seeing more mountain lions? It's gonna be a really heavy winter.
3: Oh, <laughs> does that hold water? <laughs> uh, yeah, you, you, you never know, I guess. Um, it, it's probably, um, it's, it's prob- probably I, I don't have any scientific evidence for that. OK, uh, OK, we'll let that one go. Yeah, but- you know I've, I've got my own theories at times, but there's nothing that would hold water there. Uh, and then, oh, and then the, the third kind of reason, I'm, I mentioned about just random probability. Um, and then of course, behavior of individual lions. Um, and, and those two things kind of work together a little bit where uh, you could go, so let's say in the crest of upper East and Slate river valleys, um, typically we might have four or five mountain lions hanging out there all summer. Uh, and then uh, if you think about those certain situations where a mountain lion, it's gotta be a little braver, uh, feed more often, that might only happen um, for one of those mountain lions every five years or so.
2: so <laughs> Let's talk about, you know, your typical encounter, you know, with a lion. Maybe you could describe that for us. And, you know, is there, you know, I am sure there's potential here for danger. Are they intimidated easily? Can you, you know, they say with a bear, you make a lot of noise and scare them away. Is the same hold true for a mountain lion or does it depend on the mountain lion? Or how do you know whether you have an aggressive mountain lion or one you can scare away? Maybe you could sketch that out for us
3: yeah um so in most cases um you know 90 some percent of the mountain lions out there at, at a given time are are scared by you just being there and and just maybe normal talking or whatever um uh, they're they're watching us all the time we're not seeing them most of time.
2: okay that's creepy <laughs>
3: yeah a little bit um but uh it's and part of that is just due to you know uh especially this last year Year. One other thing I should mention is just the number of people that we have out in the woods uh, on trails this year is obviously much higher. Uh, uh, so we're going to have more sightings and reportings uh, like we've been seeing. Uh, but uh, there are times when you, know, you get this maybe more older lion or a lion that uh, is a little more desperate um, has to feed more often, and so, I, and I believe this might be kind of underlying some of these cases that we see, or have been seeing here, or hearing of lately. we probably got one particular mountain lion um, that is uh, uh, that is behind many of these these instances um, up in the East River and and Slate areas. So uh, typically, yeah, just being there, they're, they're going to avoid us. Um, However, uh, if you're encountered by an aggressive mountain lion, uh, one that maybe even charges you, um, basically stand your ground, fight back, um, make a lot of noise, make yourself look big. um, They they do respond to that quite well. Um, So don't run. Yeah, don't run. Um, Okay. (laughs) uh, There's been cases where maybe someone was, uh, you know, fixing a a flat tire Uh, this isn't here locally um, but there have been other cases where some of the the, the rare attacks that that do occur uh, and and don't get me wrong this is why we you know cpw uh, is involved with these kind of things because attacks although rare have happened um, uh, in colorado and throughout north america so um, yeah typically yeah you you want to uh, make yourself look big fight back Uh, they, they definitely respond
0: to that were you referring to somebody that was changing the tire in their car because they were bent over, close to their car, and appearing small?
3: Uh, yeah, yeah, and, and and so in let me just backtrack a little bit on that. Um, there was you know a case um, I believe with one a mountain biker in a different state um, that was changing a tire and a mountain lion attacked. Um, and so those particular and I've heard of you know some similar cases in Colorado, maybe not quite like that. Um, so yeah, um, uh, you know, don't make yourself look like prey. Uh,
0: it's, it's <laughs> advice. Sure. And just to clarify here, when you say boulder lion, you don't mean, uh, a, a lion from, bo- maybe you do mean a lion from no, bolder, no. but a, a lion <laughs> no, you know, that is more that far bold far. than his peers. <laughs>
3: right. Right. So, uh, you know, the, uh, animal, all animals out Chris, there. Let uh,
2: me ask uh, him about wolves. Yeah,
0: What's absolutely. That? Uh, wolves.
2: <laughs> let me, let now let me ask this who's higher on the food chain, a mountain lion <laughs> or the gray wolf? And with the reintroduction of the gray wolf, how's that gonna impact the mountain lion?
3: Yeah, um, I, I I've looked very little into that from a scientific perspective, but I could tell you that there has been actually quite a bit of research in that in the uh, Yellowstone ecosystem in Wyoming. And so uh, as far as individual encounters go, um, depends on how many wolves, um, and so uh, if there's one wolf, a mountain lion could probably take it. Um, if there's two, that's a different scenario. Uh, and, and same goes with uh, just. Uh, I'm betting on, on the mountain lion. What's uh, that?
2: I'm betting on the mountain lion.
3: yeah, if, if there's a single one. Um, but I will tell you, um, we, th- that interaction is actually already going on with coyotes and mountain lions here locally. So uh, coyotes, um, if there's only Two coyotes, often a mountain lion can take them, but if there's more than three, three or more, a mountain lion uh, is not going to fare as well. Hmm. Yeah,
0: okay. So it just
3: depends on the situation. All
0: do, right. do mountain lions typically present uh, as much of a problem to ranchers as wolves are said to present?
3: Um, I can't can't make any predictions on that here, um, but uh, yeah, typically uh, we don't see a lot of uh, con very many conflicts with the ranchers unless you're dealing with um, these large domestic sheep grazing um, systems that we do have kind of on the western ends of uh, gunnison county sure and uh, uh, you know it, it's happening uh, can't always say how much uh, it, it, it depends uh, black bear typically are uh, have, have we have more conflicts between black bear and ranchers sure mountain lions
0: Sure. Um, and sort of related, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about, um, I, okay, so I'm from the East Coast. And on the East Coast, we have what we call catamounts uh, in Vermont. They're a bit of a mythic creature there. Uh, I don't even know if actually one has been sighted in a very long time. But is that similar? Are we talking about, uh, you know, same family there? Is, is, um, I, you know, can they all be called mountain lions?
3: Yeah, mountain lion. Uh, you'll hear
0: me maybe loosely refer to them as cats, lions, um, but I
3: feel more puma, panther, catamount. Uh, there's, uh, yeah, there's probably like 50 names for them, uh, but they're all the same species. Basically, throughout the Western Hemisphere, they are pretty much the, there might, there's a, I mean, there's some su- subspecies differences, but uh, even the Eastern Cougar is what would have been in Vermont and, you know, the only sightings there have been confirmed to a mountain lion that came from South Dakota. Uh, and actually, I think that only made it to Connecticut. But.
2: Kevin, are you over, I mean, are you, do you have like a raised uh, concern about these, these recent sightings? Or do you just think this is part of a natural cycle?
3: Um, Yeah, I I, I do have some concern, uh, because when you get a cluster of sightings like this, uh, and and especially dealing with maybe, you know, some, some of these sightings that have involved uh, encounters that have involved a a more aggressive lion. Yeah, it's definitely, uh, you know, raises alarm within our agency a little bit here locally. And, uh, you know, we kind of want to get to the bottom of it uh, to figure out, you know, what's going on here. Is it uh, just a certain situation? Do we have a certain Cat um, that can be, you know, easily dealt with, um, or is there a uh, maybe a a easy explanation for this? Um, You know, with the snow coming in to the east and Slate River valleys right now, uh, we're probably not going to see many more of these. There might be a few elk hanging up high, uh, but most of the deer obviously came down in elevations. There might be a few hanging out in backyards still, Um, but uh, that. Uh, my guess is uh, these these encounters will go down here uh, or they are going down actively right now.
2: Yeah. In a case where you do track it down to one lion, do you trap it and relocate? Do you um, extinguish it? What, what is yeah, the you know, preferred
3: um, method? It depends on the situation. And uh, so we can, uh, if we could track a, a lion down, um, every situation is different. So let's say the uh, if there is a single mountain lion behind the encounters that have been happening around Crested Butte lately, um, you know we first want to determine if there's actually maybe some offspring uh, that that mm-hmm. lion is rearing. Um, so we would wouldn't want to euthanize a mountain lion um, if it's got a couple eight-month-old kittens or six-month-old or three-month-old kittens. Even um, obviously those kittens are not trained yet, so uh, could be causing more. Problems, and so right now, um, you know, from what we understand or what we can, what we've gathered so far, um, uh, most of these encounters were probably dealing with a case where we have a prey item down on the ground. Uh, uh, yeah. At least in two of the cases that we've investigated, uh, we've tracked it down to a the prey item just being too close to um, a route of travel like a trail, uh, like on the mountain. And so i've uh, had at least two uh, dead deer uh, near trails and and that's uh just uh, the way mountain lions defend them. They're they're defending their 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 food resource they spend a lot of energy trying to take it down um and if they are um, uh, needing to do that every few days especially to help feed their kittens um they're going to be pretty protective of it
2: well this is a fascinating area to understand especially with you know a, an animal that can be Uh, considered so dangerous, and yet there are so many extenuating circumstances, so thanks for explaining it.
0: Yeah, no problem. Thanks for listening to KBUT's Community Matters this week. Our guest has been Kevin Bleka with Colorado Parks and Wildlife talking to us about mountain lions. Thanks, Kevin, for being with us.
2: Yeah, no problem, Chris.
0: And thanks, as always, of course, to my lovely co-host, Chris Rourke. Chris, uh, I can't tell you how much I appreciate it.
2: Well, thank you, Christopher.
0: And of course, thanks as well to our first guest this evening, Scott Morrill. He's the Gunnison County Emergency Manager. Stay tuned to KBUT coming up next. It's Bobby's World. Make sure to check out KBUT.org. We post these episodes online there. This is Community Matters on KBUT Community Radio for the entire Gunnison Valley.